Take your Bibles out with us this morning as we preach a message that I do not ordinarily preach. This is a very unique presentation. This morning, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 within God's Word. Amen. Matthew chapter 16 within God's Word. If you don't have a sermon study guide, and this would be the kind of message I would highly recommend to have one to take home with you and uh, post it by your front door. And you'll understand why uh, when we get done with the conclusion of this message this morning. Amen. Uh, you know, questions, questions can be discomforting, troubling at times. Questions are important. What questions asked by your spouse can alarm you, discomfort you? Huh? Uh, I can be in bed uh, on Sunday night and uh, uh, a question that my wife can pose that, that can uh, uh, discomfort me would be, did you take the garbage out? Or... A question I would pose her is I'm balancing the credit card statements. What did you buy? <laughs> a congregation was thrown off guard by the question their pastor, uh, uh, or they, uh, a request that their pastor made. And they asked him the big question. Their old pastor was on his deathbed. Their, their old pastor made a, a, a deathbed request, uh, his last dying wish. Their old pastor said, would you get me, would you get me two men, one on either side of me as I die? And they said, well, what two men? They, were, they thought he'd lost it. He said, I, I want a, an IRS agent, and I want a lawyer. And they, so they asked him, what in the world, why do you want an IRS agent, and why do you want a lawyer on either side of your deathbed? He said, I want to die like Jesus. I want to die between two thieves. I pray I don't have any lawyers or IRS people here this morning. Uh, oh, my, my, my. Questions. Questions. There's no question like the question that we're going to be asking this morning. It is the supreme question of all time and all eternity. Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Who do people say that I am? What are people saying today? Well, the Mormons, the Mormons say that Jesus was a good man, not conceived by the Holy Spirit, a resurrected Adam, not eternal, not divine. The Jehovah Witnesses who come knocking on your door, they say he's a good man, not God, not equal to God. He died on the cross, but he did not resurrect from the dead. 
What do the Muslims say about Jesus? Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than an apostle of God, a prophet only to the nation Israel, while Muhammad is the last and the greatest prophet to the whole world. What do the New Agers say about Jesus? A good man, a great teacher, one of the ascended masters, one of the ways to God. How about the liberal church? Episcopalian Bishop John Spong claims Christ was a good man, but not God. He contends the gospel writers never intended to have their writings taken seriously. And fundamentalist Orthodox Christians, that's you and I, who believe otherwise are uninformed, unquestioning, and ignorant. How about Dan Brown's bestseller, The Da Vinci Code? It promotes the idea that Jesus faked his resurrection, had children by Mary Magdalene, definitely not God, just a man. How about our public education, school system, that is seeped in secular humanism? Yes, there was a historical Jesus of Nazareth, a good man, a great ethical teacher who was unjustly condemned to death, but beliefs regarding his divinity are the stuff of mythology. Or how about years ago, Martin Scorsese, the director of the movie, The Last Temptation of Christ. Martin says, a good man, unsure of his destiny, indecisive, confused, weak character, plagued by self-doubt, and overcome by sexual fantasy. End quote. But Jesus is not just interested in what others think about him. He wants to know what you think. I said he wants to know what you think. So Jesus in verse 15 says, What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What does that word Messiah mean? It comes from the Hebrew Messiah uh, or Christ, uh, which is from the Greek Christos. Both Messiah and Christ mean exactly the same thing. They both mean the anointed one. The title Messiah speaks of the divinity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was God in flesh. Who do you say that I am? It's the most important question you and I will ever answer. If Jesus is not everything he said he was, then Christianity is just for losers and we're wasting our time. It's not worth the effort, but if Jesus uh, is the Messiah, it means that God has visited this planet in human form. It means that real life today and in all of our tomorrows is utterly dependent upon Jesus. You see, before Easter, and we'll be there in six weeks, before Easter... Lakeside family, I want you to have a fresh revelation of who our Jesus is. Like our spouses, 
that if we don't re-energize uh, and refire our love with our spouse, we can take our spouses for granted. We can become too familiar with the special. And we can become too familiar with, with Jesus. I call it casual Christianity. And we cannot take him for granted. Who is this one who came announcing, I am Messiah? I want you to have a fresh love affair with Jesus as we enter this Easter season. I want this morning for you to discover the proofs. This is called an apologetic message. The reason I preach it, there are so many infiltrating our churches today that believe that Jesus was merely a good person. So many of the younger generation are coming up and they're being weaned upon the ethic or the philosophy of tolerance. I preach this message this morning. It's a unique presentation so that you may know Jesus was all he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we approach this pulpit reverently. Lord, hide me behind your glory. Let the people see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Jesus, come and help this vessel of clay. Come and anoint, Lord, both speaker and the hearers this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Follow along with me if you would like. Begin to fill in the blanks with me as I move quickly. Among all the founders of the world's great religions, Jesus is unique. Buddha never claimed that he was God. Confucius never said he was anything but a man. Moses never said he was Jehovah. Muhammad did not count himself as Allah. Yet a carpenter, a simple carpenter, came out of a small town called Nazareth. And this simple carpenter said, When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus, only Jesus, claimed to be God in human form. Write it down. Some declare Jesus never ever stated he was divine. However, the scriptures prove Jesus made several Several multiple claims to his deity. John 5, 17, Jesus said, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working for this reason. They tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was calling God his own Father. He was making himself equal with God. John 14, 9, don't you know me, Philip, uh, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? When Jesus was arrested and hauled in before the high priest and the other religious leaders, what did they say? The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us. If you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Calmly, serenely, Jesus said, you have said so. But 
I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And they all shouted out, Blasphemy! And they tore their clothes. Time and time and time again, Jesus claimed for himself what no other has claimed. They asked him, are you greater than our father Abraham, the founder of the Jewish faith? Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. The woman of Samaria sat down with Jesus next to a well of water, and she said, are you greater than our patriarch Jacob, who gave us this well of water? Jesus said, anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but I offer the waters of life from which you'll never ever thirst again. They said, are you greater than the prophets? He said, behold, I've come to complete the prophets. I am the Son of God. They said, Moses gave our ancestors manna, bread from heaven, to eat in the wilderness. Will you give us this bread? Jesus said, say not that Moses gave them bread, but my Father which is in heaven gave them bread. And I am the bread of life who has come down to you from heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if Solomon was the wisest of them all, Jesus said, Behold, uh, uh, greater than Solomon, uh, uh, greater than he is among you this day. Greater than Solomon, greater than the prophets, greater than all the greats of the past. Jesus is greater. How? He is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Alpha and Omega. He is Messiah. He is Messiah. Jesus pointed to his miracles as proof of his divinity. John 10, 38, But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that I do, that you may know and understand. The Father is in me, and I in the Father. John 14, 11, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of what? Of the works themselves. John 20 verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. Which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah. The Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Hallelujah. Jesus took on a right Jesus took on a prerogative, a privilege that only God can perform. No one else did this in the Bible. Jesus, mark it down, took on a divine prerogative when he forgave sin. Mark 2, 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's why the religious leaders became so angry Look at verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus revealed himself as God by receiving worship. I want you to mark it down well. Even the angels in the Bible, in their sudden glorious appearances, would not, would not receive worship even when the heroes of the faith tried to worship them. 
Only Jesus received worship. Matthew 14, 33, after he stilled the storm, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew 21, verse 15, on Palm Sunday, the children began to shout out, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were worshiping Jesus, and the religious leaders got all upset about it. Matthew 28, verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them after his resurrection, and Jesus said, greetings. Uh, they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they what? Worshipped him. The disciples and the other followers of Jesus have left this with eyewitness testimony of Jesus being God. Do you recognize and realize that you cannot test in the laboratory Alexander the Great, Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, and prove scientifically that any of these historical famous people ever existed? Historical evidence is based upon the legal method. By the legal method, we send people to prison, sometimes for life, sometimes to the electric chair, based upon the testimony of eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. One of the other proofs for the deity of Jesus Christ is eyewitness testimony, the legal method. Note it with me. Luke 1, 2. Eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 2 Peter 1, 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The sudden transformation of the disciples is another proof for the deity of Jesus Christ. How can we describe, how would you describe the disciples when Jesus was arrested? How many of the disciples hung around to defend Jesus when Jesus was betrayed and arrested? How many of them? None. They all ran out on Jesus. They all forsook him. Even after at the Lord's Supper, they had said, uh, even if, they, if everybody runs out, we won't. Peter and the whole other ten disciples. They all forsook him, the Bible says, and rejected him. And even after he died, even after Jesus died, where were the disciples hiding? In an upper room, shaking with fear gripped with hopelessness and despair and waiting for any moment for the Roman guard to come and arrest them also. How do you explain then this unbelievable transformation of the disciples from abject fear and hopelessness to God-confident boldness announcing and proclaiming Jesus is the Christ and we ought to obey God rather than man. How do you explain that all the 11 apostles met uh, imprisonment, banishment, and most of them met death through martyrdom? How do you explain Christians who gave their lives in the Colosseum, torn apart by wild dogs and animals and lions? How do you explain it? 
You can only explain the transformation by the fact that Jesus is truly Messiah. And they knew it proof positive. Lord of lords, King of kings, the Son of God. The New Testament, write it down, strongly teaches the divinity of Jesus. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I love Colossians 1, 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The visible Jesus made the invisible God visible. For by Him all things were created, visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. Next time the JWs come knocking on your door who want to declare that Jesus was just merely a begotten son of the Father, a begotten son of a resurrected Adam and not co-equal with God, take out this verse like I do, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hallelujah. He's Messiah. Thank you for your enthusiasm this morning. God bless you. Amen. Nah, nah, nah. You got to mean it. You got to mean it. That's a sympathy applause. Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The united testimony of Jesus, the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, they all agree in one great symphony that Jesus is Messiah. But let's go outside of the Bible. God not only gave us evidence within the Holy Scriptures, God not only gave us evidence in the special revelation called the Scriptures, the Bible, God also gave us evidence, proofs, in general revelation in nature. For many of you, it's gone right over your head. What happened? We just celebrated it. What happened at the birth of Jesus? What was in the heavens? <laughs> what did God put as a signpost in the heavens that something miraculous, something pivotal, something climatic had just occurred? Oh, yes. There it is. Write it down. Jesus' birth was marked by the appearance of a star-like object seen in the skies by ancient observers from China to Rome. Matthew 2, verse 1. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Oh, get a hold of that. 
We don't know if it was a comet. We don't know if it was a conjunction of both the planet Jupiter and Venus, a very unique conjunction. We don't know if it was an actual star. All we do know, it was supernatural. God timed it as a signpost at the birth of the King, the birth of the Messiah. Another historical confirmation of the supernatural nature of Christ is the occurrence of darkness at Jesus' crucifixion. The phenomena of darkness has been confirmed in history by secular historians. Thallus in A.D. 52 wrote this. Look on your screen. The darkness totally covered the face of the earth at the time of what? Say it again. I want you to remember that. At the time of the Passover in A.D. 32. The Roman historian Phlegon also records this. The Roman historian Afri Julianus Africanus also records this. There are multiple historical records of the darkness that covered the entire planet. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, back up. Now it was about the sixth hour. What time is that? 12 noon. And there was darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. Good Friday. Good Friday. What caused this darkness? What caused this darkness? Most naturalists would look at that and say it was a solar, a total solar eclipse. You don't know your science. That is utterly impossible. What's the Jewish holiday? What Jewish holiday did Jesus die upon? Passover. Read the Levitical law. Read Judaism. They cannot celebrate Passover unless there is a full moon. It is totally, radically impossible to have a total solar eclipse when there is at the same time a full moon. This was a supernatural darkness. God extinguished the light from the sun. Why? What was going on at the cross? He was becoming the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, the sins of the past, the present, all the sins that will ever be committed in the future. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became a magnet. He became the epicenter, the apex of all the world's sins. He became sin personified on the cross. And God the Father turned his back upon his son and shrouded the entire event in an abject midnight blackness and darkness. And out of that darkness there came a cry. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why was he forsaken? He was forsaken that you and I might be accepted. He became sin that we might have a savior. Uh, he was made poor that we might be made rich. Uh, he went to hell that we might go to heaven. Hallelujah. He died that we might live. I want to give you a fresh revelation of your Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. You might, you might think that I'm too emotional, too passionate too fervent, but listen, if you can't get passionate about that, I don't know what you can get passionate about. My, 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 my. We can paint ourselves blue and scream out, go blue for some pigskin that goes between two poles. But when the Messiah is hung upon a pole, we have to remain silent. I don't know about you. He's our Savior, and He saved me from my sins. He saved you and I from our sins. And he's worthy of all the worship, the praise, the glory, and the honor. Hallelujah. But there's more. There's more. There's more proof. Prophetic fulfillment is proof that Jesus is Messiah. Mark it down. The Bible, in many respects, is a book of prophecy and prophetic fulfillment. The prophet Isaiah writes, in fact, God states it. God says, I am God, and there is none other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. Stop fretting about the election. God's in control. I said God's in control. God's in control. You need to be reminded that the Bible contains 1,817 individual predictions concerning 737 separate subjects found in 8,352 verses. 27%, 27%, almost a third of the Bible is prophetic. Of the Bible's prophecies, Dr. Edersheim has recorded that great scholar of the Bible. He's recorded 456 of the Bible's prophecies foretell the coming of the Messiah. Now I want you to consider the case of Dr. Peter Stoner. He is a mathematics and astronomy professor, a Bible skeptic at the time who decided to analyze, write it down, 48, 48 48 major Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ's first coming. He not only wanted to demonstrate the Bible's lack of credibility, he wanted to test its prophetic accuracy. He wanted to discredit, discredit the divinity of Jesus as Messiah. Yet, to Dr. Peter Stoner's amazement and shock, he discovered that Jesus completely fulfilled all 48 major Bible prophecies, not in generalities, but with specificity and detail. 
Nothing left untouched. Mathematically, Dr. Peter Stoner demonstrated that the chance of any one person fulfilling all 48 of these prophecies is an astounding one in 10 to the 157th power. A number that is so huge and astronomical we cannot comprehend the total, the total enormity of it. I can tell you you still don't have it. You don't got it. You don't get it. How big, how big is 10 to the 157th power? You know I'm going to tell you. How big is it? Okay, let me give you an analogy. This is analogous to the enormity of the number that I just gave you. Imagine one ant, one ant carrying just one atom. The smallest product, particle of matter, one atom. Carrying it just one inch every 15 billion years. How many atoms could he move in 10 to the 157th power of years? The ant would be able to move all the atoms in 600,000 trillion, 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 trillion universes the same size as our universe and move them the distance of 30 billion light years. What does this all mean? By the laws of mathematical probability, it is simply impossible for 48 prophecies to be fulfilled by chance alone. This revelation ended up changing Dr. Stoner's life. Dr. Stoner concluded, he said, any man who rejects Jesus as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. Wow! Oh, say it backwards with me. Wow! But how about history? Let's turn to historical proofs of Jesus' deity. The amazing growth of Christianity in the first century and beyond is another proof of the divinity of Christ. Think about it. Inspired by a living Lord, the disciples, that ragtag group of disciples, uneducated, uh, this stubborn bunch, they launched the most successful movement ever known to man, Christianity. Today there are more than two billion people on the planet that believe Jesus is Messiah. Hallelujah! Every day, every day, every day, 85,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ around the world. Hallelujah. Christianity alone is proof that Jesus is Messiah. And how do you measure the cultural impact of Jesus? His cultural impact is proof that he is no ordinary man, but who he said he was, the Messiah. Think of it. Because of Jesus, time has been split into B.C. and A.D. Because of Jesus, we're not here on Monday. We're, we're not here worshiping like the Muslims on Friday. We don't worship like the Jews on Saturday. Because of Jesus, we worship on Sunday. I said we worship on Sunday. We worship on Sunday. 
Because of Jesus, the Encyclopedia Britannica uses more than 20,000 words describing Jesus. More words than are used for Julius Caesar, Aristotle, Cicero, Alexander the Great, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Napoleon, all combined. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 30 years, Sophocles for 35 years, Aristotle taught for 40 years, Jesus ministered just for three. Yet Jesus has had a greater impact upon this planet than all of the great philosophers of antiquity combined. Jesus wrote no literature. Yet more books and poetry have been written in his honor. He fashioned no art. Uh, yet the greatest works of Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Rembrandt are in his honor. He never composed any music. Yet the greatest works of Bach, Beethoven, Mendelssohn, the famous composers were composed in his majesty. He accomplished what philosophy and art and literature and music couldn't do. Only Jesus can really change a life. Only Jesus can set a soul free from sin and Satan. Only Jesus can redirect us from a highway to hell to a highway to heaven. Hallelujah. Give him praise and give him glory. Hallelujah. Liberal Christianity. You say, Pastor, why do you preach or teach a presentation such as this? Liberal Christianity is moving into our churches so rapidly, and it's spawned in the very pit of hell. How can you say that, Pastor? Any church, any Christian that does not subscribe to the deity of Jesus Christ is Antichrist. Wheaton College and Seminary, this last December, a female professor continued to wear a habib, the Muslim scarf, head covering for women, to class. One of our premier evangelical seminaries is spousing the fact to our young up-and-coming ministers that there are many ways to God, that Jesus is not the only way, that Jesus was merely a good Person. Liberal Christianity embraces the message of Christ, the message of love God and love one another. They embrace the message of Jesus, but they do not, they do not subscribe to the man as being God in flesh. I'm thankful to report to you that this school that uh, Billy Graham sat upon the board of this school immediately asked for her resignation. Amen. Amen. But there's a younger generation growing up in the church, and, and not, just, not just the liberal church, but the evangelical church, the Pentecostal church, the Spirit-filled church, the Assembly of God church. And I can report to you across the country where this is cropping up time and time again because our children have been weaned. Our children have cut their teeth in public school education on this total tolerance issue that you tolerate everything and anything, and that exclusivity smacks uh, of the worst blasphemy and heresy of all. I want you to know where this pulpit stands. I want you to know where this church stands. 
Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Muhammad won't do that for you. Buddha won't. Confucius won't. Only Jesus died upon the cross. Only Jesus was raised from the dead. And only Jesus is coming back again. Hallelujah to our Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus, Messiah, don't let anyone ever try to convince you that Jesus was just merely a good person. Don't let anyone convince you that he was just one who gave a new social doctrine, an ethical teacher who was unjustly condemned and criticized and died a criminal's death. Don't allow it. Jesus didn't allow it. I said Jesus didn't allow it. Jesus did not allow you and I the option that he was merely a good person. He said he was God in flesh. Now, I have subscribed to astronomy, the scriptures, mathematics, history, culture. Now, I submit you to consider logic. Jesus did not relegate himself to be merely a good person. He said he was God. So, you're left with these options. He was either a complete liar who pulled off the greatest flim-flam, the greatest con job, the greatest hoax of all history. Or, he's a lunatic that needs to be shut up in a rubber room, crazed, out of his mind, Do you really believe he was a liar? Could he say the things that he said? Do you really believe he's a lunatic? Could he do the things that he did? Could a liar, could a lunatic impact this world? Even today, he shakes this world. There's no greater controversy than Jesus. There's no greater impact than Jesus. Could he be a liar? Could he be a lunatic and have this kind of impact? So you're left with this option. He's neither liar, and he's neither lunatic. He's who he said he was. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. What then? Now you're left with two alternatives. What are you doing with his lordship? There's only two alternatives. You accept him as Lord, or you reject him. How will you choose? How are you choosing? Because talk is cheap. How are you choosing by the way you lead your life and live your life? How are you choosing? How are you choosing? I want you to know there's no other name. Look with me in John 14, verse 13. What does it mean to us now this morning? Here's the application. I've given you the proofs. I've given you an apologetic defense of the faith. Now I give you the application. Here's the application. What can you take to work tomorrow morning? What can you take home from this service? John 14, verse 13. And whatever you ask, Jesus said, in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here we now have, I want you to note here, now we have what is called in the Bible an intentional redundancy. 
an intentional redundancy in the Hebrew mind. When you repeat something, it is given great emphasis. It's as though you took a highlighter and highlighted these words. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What does it mean that he's Messiah? It means that you and I can move in spiritual authority. We can move in dominion and power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. If you want to have power in prayer, you must pray in the name of Jesus. Stop praying a mindless, mindless liturgy. You might have a religious tradition. You might have a religious background. You go through beads. You pray through beads. Or you pray through stations. Or you pray through memorized prayers that have a much passion, as much spirit, and as dry as a mummy's breath. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying with the keen awareness of who He is and whose you are. It's praying with knowledge. It's praying with a relationship where you are walking and talking with the Master. Praying in the name of Jesus is having the keen awareness that you're utilizing the legal power of attorney that you're God's executor here on planet earth it's praying with the keen awareness that the Lord has given you a blank check <laughs> he's given you a blank check that has been endorsed by his name how would you react right now how would you respond right now if I gave you a blank check that was endorsed by, by, by Bill Gates Oh, some of you'd have a spiritual experience. Of course, you tithe on it, right? Hallelujah. Honey, sir, ma'am, we've been given a blank check from heaven, <laughs> endorsed not by a man. It's been endorsed not by Bill Gates, not by Donald Trump, not by Hillary Clinton. We've been given a blank check, endorsed by Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Messiah. Hallelujah. Now do something with that. Do something with that. Amen. It's one thing to get excited that Jesus is who he said he was. But what are you going to do with it? You're going to pray with power. You're going to pray with authority. Because there's no other name like his name. Demons tremble when we pray in the name of Jesus. When we pray in the name of Jesus, his presence is released. Strongholds are torn down. Mountains move. Uh, when we move in spiritual authority, when we move in dominion and power, God makes a way where there seems to be no other way. Can I hear a, a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Oh, I'm getting excited. I said I wasn't going to get excited this morning. I said I was going to go into Dr. Phil mode. Listen, there is no other name like his. Because he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, when the apostles were testifying there in that court they declared there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. This morning, you might be in the grip of a storm. Come on, stay with me. Don't move those purses around, those wallets around. Put those papers down. Hang with me this morning. You might be saying, Pastor, I'm bankrupt. I'm broke. I'm busted. Pray in the name of Jesus. And he will say, I am your Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. Hallelujah. But I'm sick. I'm broken. I'm bruised. I have a disease. Pray in the name of Jesus. Let God arise. Let your Jesus say, I am your healer. By your stripes you are healed. Pastor, I'm hooked. I'm addicted. I'm bound by a terrible, terrible sin. Pray in the name of Jesus. Demons tremble when you pray in the name of Jesus. There's authority in that name. Uh, and he still is the line of the tribe of Judah who breaks every chain. Amen? My heart is broken. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been divorced. I've lost all my hope. Pray in his name. Pray in the name of Jesus. And he will declare himself, I am your Prince of Peace. But I'm under attack. Pray in the name of Jesus. And you'll discover that he is your Lord of Lords. Your King of Kings. And he has all authority in heaven and earth. But I'm a sinner. He's your Savior. And his name is Jesus. Son of God, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus is your Messiah, and there is no other name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus, 
And I sense in my spirit the time is approaching so very soon where we will no longer look through a glass darkly, but we will see Him as He is face to face. Face to face. There's no other name. And even right now, there is a great anointing in this room. I said there's a great anointing in this room for the miraculous. I sense the presence of Jesus here this morning in an unfathomable dimension this morning. And the greatest miracle of all is every head is bowed and every eye is closed. The greatest miracle of all is a life uh, that has been saved by Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. And this morning, I'm prepared to pray a prayer. A prayer of salvation. A prayer that will make you right with God. A prayer that will forgive you of your sins. A prayer that will give you a home in heaven. A prayer that will give you a dynamic relationship. It will change your life in the here and now. If you would like to be included in this prayer, I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not asking you to join a denomination or this church. I'm inviting you to join Jesus. If you would like to be included in this prayer of salvation, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one is looking around, just lift up your hand right now as a sign of your faith. God bless you. I see that hand. How many more? God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more this morning? Lift it up high so that I can see it. I don't want to miss you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. It might be a rededication. It might be a recommitment to the Lord. Right now, this is your opportunity. This is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. Yes, I see that hand in the back. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? I will not embarrass you. I will not point you out. This is between you and God this morning. How many more? Just lift up your hand. Precious Jesus, as time quickly passes by, Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Keep those hands lifted up. Repeat this prayer after me. Everyone repeat this prayer, especially those who have their hands lifted up. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now just as I am. I confess I'm a sinner, but Jesus, you're my Savior, you're my Messiah. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection faith, resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life, a changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for giving me a new hope in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. I receive it as I believe it. Amen. Precious Jesus.